Like I said, tonight I'm, I'm going to be continuing the, uh, the Raising the Bar series that we've been doing. And I think, uh, yeah, we've got our weekly memory verse up here. And uh, as it comes up here, um, we'll just read it. You want to read it together since it's our memory verse? Uh, I'll, I'll lead us out, but let's read it together. Uh, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Amen. So, uh, you guys, um, you know, be diligent. You know, we're, as a church, we're, we're memorizing a verse a week. Uh, we're attempting to share the gospel with someone uh, at least once a week. We're, we're, we're working together to read the New Testament as a church uh, in this, in this seven-week time. And uh, so I want to encourage you guys to continue to engage in that, to continue to raise the bar in your life. And, um, you know, I'm hoping that the Astros raise the bar tonight. Um, I don't know if anybody saw game four. It was heart-wrenching. Um, we had it. Four runs, like the eighth inning, and we had a bullpen meltdown. So uh, we're, we're praying for the Astros tonight. Not really. Um, hopefully they'll win, but who knows. Uh, but some, I just remembered something that we do need to pray for that I forgot to pray for. Um, Salome, I don't know if y'all know Salome. Uh, she's, a, she's a very sweet lady who attends our church. Her, uh, help me out, Michelle. Father-in-law, no, father, father and sister-in-law, right? Both passed away, I believe, today. She had two, two relatives uh, pass away. One was her father and uh, so she's having a, a really rough time right now. If, uh, if, if any of you are, are close with Salome, I would encourage you to, um, to reach out with her. I know uh, Beverly's going to reach out to her, and, and um, I'm, I think some of the ladies in the church are, are, are working on that. But uh, let, let's just lift her up right now because that's, that's, a, that's a hard time. Heavenly Father, we, we just pray for Salome right now, God. Lord, we, we thank you, Lord, that that, Father, you are her strength in this time of, of mourning and sadness, God. Lord, I, I thank you that you are, are uh, her rock that she stands on, Lord. And, and, God, I thank you, Father, that you are able, Lord God, to use even the darkest and the most difficult situations, Lord God, for our, our, our sanctification, Lord, and conformity to, to Christ, Lord. And, 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 God, we thank you, Father, that, that our suffering, Lord, uh, is not for nothing, Lord, but, but Father God, that in Salome, that, that you are producing for her, Lord God, a, a, a weight of glory, Lord God, that is eternal and, and far outweighs her suffering, God, as she is faithful to you, Lord, and leans on you and trusts in you, Lord God, through this, through this difficult time, Lord. And God, we pray that, that you would just be a comfort and a joy to her, Lord, and, and, a, and a strength to her in this time of mourning. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, so, uh, Pastor Sam, he asked me to speak on financial integrity and uh, raising the bar in financial integrity. I'm really excited about this message. It's, it's a really great word. Uh, so tonight, what I'd like to share with you about is how we can magnify God with our money. And uh, let me give you the context of this passage Jesus is teaching his disciples 
not to worry about everyday issues like food and clothing, but rather to trust in God to meet their physical and their earthly needs. And uh, just prior to the passage that I'm about to read, Jesus encourages his disciples to put God's kingdom first. You know, we, we, a lot of us are familiar with the passage in New King James says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all of these things will be added to you. Food, clothing, physical needs, they will be added to you. Um, so that's the, that's the context of, of how this passage is, is coming up to. And uh, if you read here in verse 32, Jesus says, So don't be afraid, little flock, for it gives your Father great happiness to give you the kingdom. Sell what you have and give to those in need. This will store up treasure for you in heaven, and the purses of heaven have no holes in them. Your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal it, and no moth can destroy it. Wherever your treasure is, there your heart and thoughts will also be. Now, you see, the inner essence of worship, the very core definition of worship, is the treasuring of God as infinitely valuable above anything else. And the outer forms of worship are the acts that show how much we treasure God on the inside. It's, it's the overflow of that which is on the inside of us. Therefore, all of life is meant to be worship because God said, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to show how valuable the glory of God is to you. That's 1 Corinthians 10.31. So, you see, money and things are a big part of life, Right? It plays a part in almost everything that we do. And um, therefore, God intends them to be a big part of worship since all of life is meant to be worship, according to 1 Corinthians that I just read you. So the way that we worship with our money and our possessions is to get them and use them and lose them in a way that shows how much we treasure God and not money. That's what this text is about. And so what this text actually is, is a, a, a passage about worship. It's about money, but on a deeper level, it's a passage about worship. Now there's a place for corporate worship, right? And that's what we're doing right now. We're in, we're in corporate worship. We're coming together as the body of Christ. Uh, we, we sang some songs uh, we gave, and now we're, we're, we're partaking of the Word together. And uh, so that's what we do on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights. That's what we're doing right now, corporate worship. And the same definitions hold, hold true here as everywhere else. The essence of worship is the inner treasuring of God as infinitely valuable. And the forms of worship are the acts that express this inner treasuring of God. And so I just named a few, but I'll name them again. Preaching and hearing the Word of God, praying, singing, giving, sharing the Lord's Supper, and, and, and all the things that we do when we come together to worship God corporately. Uh, one of those acts of corporate worship is what we call the offering. 
And it's typically a point near the middle of our service uh, where we worship with our money by putting it out of our hands and out of our bank accounts and into Christ's purposes and into Christ's ministry in the world through our church and through missionaries all over the world and through community outreaches and, and through all the things that our church does uh, and, and, the, and the ministries that we support and the ministries that launch forth from our church, uh, that's, that's a way that we worship. We take our money out of our hands and put them in to the things of God. So this particular act of worship in the corporate worship service is one small part of the larger pattern of worship with our money that we do every day in the way we earn and spend and save and give our money. So money is, the key here is money is a key part of our life um, practice of worship. So today's text, uh, Luke 12, 32-34, has to do with the big pattern of how we worship with our money. And so by implication, it also has much to do about our uh, corporate worship with money, uh, specifically whenever we have the time of tithes and offerings. So let's look at some of the main points in this text and let it apply to our lives in general and then specifically to our corporate worship and our giving in the church. Now the first point of the text in verse 32 is that God commands us not to fear when it comes to money. He says, don't worry, don't be afraid. I'll read it to you. We're going to read this one over and over again. You'll have it memorized by the end of the message. So don't be afraid, little flock, for it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. But there's another way to say the point that goes deeper. The reason God wants us not to be afraid concerning money is because that would magnify five great things about him. Not being afraid with regard to stuff and things would magnify five great things about God in our life and show how we love God and treasure God and, and, and hold precious God for these five things. In other words, not being afraid would become a beautiful interactive worship in the context of money and stuff is what Jesus is teaching. So let me show you five things in this scripture. Uh, in just in verse 32, that not being afraid shows and magnifies about God in our life. First, not being afraid shows that we treasure God as our shepherd. He says, so don't be afraid, little flock. We are his flock, and he is our shepherd. And if he is our shepherd, then Psalm 23 applies to us, right? And Psalm 23, just, just part of it says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want... That is, I shall not lack anything that I need. God is my protector. He's my provider. He's my shepherd. Uh, so not fearing magnifies the preciousness of, of God as our shepherd. Second, not being afraid shows that we treasure God as our father. i read the verse again to you. So don't be afraid, little flock, for it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. So you see, we are not only his flock, we are his children, and he is our father. The significance of that is clear from verse 30. 
Jesus said in verse 30 of this chapter, All these things the nations of the world eagerly seek, but your Father knows that you need these things. So in other words, your Father really cares and really knows what you need and will work for you to be sure that you have what you need. He's our Father. You know, anybody in here, got any fathers in the house? Any fathers? Yeah. And you guys know, you guys know as a, as a father, we want to we wanna provide the needs of our children. I, tonight at dinner, my youngest son, Gideon, was eating his quesadillas and he fell right out of his chair. And uh, on a tile floor, head over heels, and luckily he caught himself pretty good. But, but my instant reaction was, was to get down on the floor and grab him and hug him. And it's going to be okay, buddy. It's going to be okay. Because the heart of the Father is to, is to, is to meet the needs, to protect, to provide, to, to, to love the child. And so when we, when we are not afraid uh, regarding money and things, it shows that we trust God and we, and we, and we worship God as our Father. Uh, third... Not being afraid shows that we treasure God as king. It says, so don't be afraid, little flock, for it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. Now, why can God give us the kingdom? Because he is the king, right? And this adds a tremendous element of power to the one who provides for us. Now, we talked about it. Shepherd connotes provision, and protection. Father connotes love and tenderness and authority and provision and guidance. But king connotes power and sovereignty and wealth. So if we will trust God as shepherd and father and king and not be afraid about money and things, then we will show how real and precious God is to us in these ways. And when we show those things, when we show, when people see that, that, uh, that, we, that we trust God in this way, excuse me, quesadilla night, um, and when, when, when we, even, even in, the, in the secret places, trust God in these things rather than worrying and fretting about stuff, we worship God, God's worship, uh, through, through trusting Him in these things. Now, fourth... Not being afraid shows how free and generous God is. He says, so don't be afraid, little flock, for it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom, to give you the kingdom. Now notice that he says he gives the kingdom. He doesn't sell the kingdom or rent the kingdom or lease the kingdom. He gives it. God is infinitely wealthy and doesn't need our payments. He doesn't need our stuff. He doesn't need our talents. He chooses to use our stuff and to use our talents for his purposes, but he doesn't need it. And Jesus says here specifically regarding the kingdom, he, he doesn't take payment for it. He gives it. He gives us the kingdom. Uh, so anything that we would try to give him would already be his anyway. And this shows God to be generous and free with his bounty. And this is what we magnify about him when we are not afraid, but trust him with our needs. Last thing. Finally, not being afraid shows that we treasure God as happy. He says, so don't be afraid, little flock, for it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. It is God's good pleasure 
to give us the kingdom. It pleases Him to give us the kingdom. It's something that God wants to do. Uh, it makes Him glad to do it. Now, not all of us had fathers growing up who, who, who loved to give us what we needed, who loved to, to, to give us what we needed for happiness and for joy and for confidence and for uh, feeling safe and secure. And, and uh, you know, not all of us had fathers like that growing up. Uh, but that does not matter if we are a believer, right? Because now we, ha- now we can have such a father and a shepherd and a king if we trust him as father, if we trust him as king, if we trust him as shepherd. And we do that, right, by, by trusting in Christ and his gospel, right? And so whenever we're born again, the Bible says that we are adopted into God's family. He becomes our father. He becomes our generous and happy father who, who, who happily gives us the kingdom and meets all of our needs. So if we trust Christ in that way, then we will find God as our father, as our provider. So the first point from this text is that we should treasure God as our shepherd and father and king who is generous and happy to give us the the kingdom of God. And what is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is heaven. The kingdom of God is eternal life. The kingdom of God is everything that we need in this life to get to that eternal life, you know? Uh, you know, the Bible says that, that, that whom, whom God called, he justified, and whom he justified, he glorified. God will get those who are born again to glory, and he'll give us everything that we need to get there. And uh, that's, that's physically and spiritually. And, uh, and that's a great promise that we can stand on and believe is that, that if I'm a believer, if I have trusted in Christ, then God will cause me to persevere to the end and enter into glory. And that's the kingdom that he gives us. He, 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 he saved us, he is saving us, and he will save us. He will get us into heaven, you know, and that's an awesome thing. And from now until then, he will give us everything that we need to get there and to, and to get through this life. So, that's the first point. That's verse 32. Now moving on to verse 33. Uh, the second point is this. Trusting God in this way carries a strong impulse towards simplicity rather than accumulation. Listen to what Jesus said in verse 33. He says, sell your possessions and give to those in need. This will store up treasure for you in heaven. And the purses of heaven never get old or develop holes. Your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal it and no moth can destroy it. Now let's focus for a second on the words, sell your possessions, because that's kind of a central key principle in this passage. Who was Jesus talking to when he said, sell your possessions? Well, if we look up in verse 22, uh, the Bible tells us who it was talking to. It says, then Jesus said to his disciples. Now, the disciples were by and large not wealthy people. They were kind of um, migrants who left their jobs and left their families and left their homes to follow Christ. So even, even Matthew, who was a wealthy tax collector, had, had left that behind, and he was, they, he was with the other 12, and, and they were just kind of nomads making, making their way through, and they were by and large not wealthy men. 
But still, Jesus said to them, sell your possessions. Now, he doesn't say how many possessions to sell. In fact, there's a lot of examples in the Bible that show us uh, different levels of possessions that, that followers of Christ sell. I'll give you a couple of examples. To the rich young ruler in Luke 18.22, Jesus said, Sell everything that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. So in this case, Jesus said, Sell all your possessions. i give you another example. A different example. When Zacchaeus met Jesus, he said in, in Luke 19.8, Look, Lord... Here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. So Zacchaeus, and, and, and the, te- the context of the passage seems to indicate that Jesus was pleased with that statement, so Zacchaeus gave half of his possessions, and it pleased the Lord. In Acts 4.37 it says, Barnabas sold the field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So here, all it tells us is, is that Barnabas sold a field. But the key, the, the, the common thread there is, 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 is selling and simplicity uh, and, and reduction uh, at, at, the, at the attempt uh, to follow Christ. And, and I'll show you why. I'll show you how that follows and pleases Christ. So the Bible doesn't tell us how many possessions to sell. But why does it say to sell possessions at all? Why does it say that? And how does that apply to us? Here's what I think the reason is. Because the giving of alms, using your money to show love, this is what alms is, using your money to show love for those without the necessities of life or without the gospel, which is the necessity for eternal life, right? Uh, is so important, the giving of alms is so important that if you don't have any liquid assets to give, what Jesus was telling his disciples, you should sell something so that you can give. But now let's think about what this means in the context. These, these uh, migrant followers of Christ who had very little money. And Jesus is telling them this. These disciples are not cash poor rich people whose money is all tied up in real estate or bonds or or some type of asset that that they have a lot stored up for that's not the case with them Um, I just got lost Um, okay most people like that uh, you know who have who have their 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 money tied up in in in, in assets. You know they, they have pretty deep pockets. They have a lot of savings, uh, or, or they at least have something to sell, right? Something to sell of great value. Uh, but Jesus didn't say take some of your savings and give alms. He said sell something and give alms. Why did he say that? The simplest assumption here is that these folks live close enough to the edge that they did not have cash to give, and so they had to sell something to give. But the key here is, is that Jesus is putting an extreme amount of emphasis on giving. Jesus puts an extreme amount of emphasis on giving, and that's the key, that's the key that we need to see through this. And Jesus wanted his people to move towards simplification, not accumulation. So what's the point to us? What does that mean? 
The point is, is that there is a powerful impulse in Christian life towards simplicity rather than accumulation. It's not um, an optional principle. It's a Christian principle that we, that, we, that we seek to move our lives towards simplicity rather than accumulation. Why? Let me show you. Uh, two reasons scripturally. One is that Jesus said in Luke 18, 24, how hard it is for the rich. Now that word rich literally means those who have things, those who have stuff, those who have a lot of stuff. And, and so the, the passage says, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. In Luke eight fourteen, Jesus said that riches choke the word of God. And I'm going to say this, just a quick disclaimer, and I'm going to come back to this. I'm not um, saying that the Bible says that we shouldn't make money. I'm not saying that the Bible says that we shouldn't make a lot of money. I'm going to come back to that. Uh, but we enter, but we want to enter the kingdom of God vastly more than we want stuff, right? That's what we want. We want the kingdom. We don't... We, we, we don't want to be focused on earthly things that perish and, and pass away. We want to be focused on things that are eternal and that will last forever and that will bring us fullness of joy in the presence of God forever, you know? Um, so that's what we seek. So there's a strong impulse to simplicity rather than accumulation. And the other reason is that we want the preciousness of God to be manifest to the world through that, that mindset and that lifestyle. And Jesus tells us here that selling things and giving alms is one way to show that God is real and precious to us as shepherd and father and king, as the, as the one who provides for us. We, give, we, we as believers, we give freely to the needs of others because we believe that when we do that, that God will provide all of our need, right? Now, uh, this teaching of Jesus has strong implications on something that, that has so many people, might have you today in bondage, has so many people in America in bondage, and, and it's because of, of the cultural shift of I need more, and I need more, and I need more, and I need, to, I, need to, I, need to have, I need to have this, and I need to have that, and that is debt. This teaching has a strong implication on the use of debt in our lives. And let me challenge your American culture thinking because there is a problem when we convince ourselves that we can afford the new car, that we can afford to put this and that on the credit card and have a, have, have a two, three, four, five, six thousand dollar payment that we didn't have before, that we can afford to do that. There's a problem whenever we, whenever we go into debt and it doesn't leave room in our lives for the Holy Spirit to lead us to give extravagantly. There's a problem with that. Yeah, you have $600 left over at the end of every month. And boy, that truck looks good. But you got a vehicle in your driveway that works very good, that's paid off. And you know that if you've got a $600 truck note, then you're not going to have anything to give in the offering. You're not going to be able to afford to pay your tithe. There's a problem with that. 
And so we need to be very careful how we use debt in our lives because debt can quickly become our God and begin to tell us what we can and can't do with our money. And I won't spend any more time on this, but please consider what potentially unnecessary debt that you can afford, quote-unquote, can do to your ability to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit to, um, to give. And how does that tie back into Jesus' command uh, that, we, that, we, um, that we sell our possessions so that we can give? Uh, a lot of times there's things that we have to lay down that we have to sell in order to get ourselves into a position where, where debt is no longer our God, but God is our God, Right? So, just something to think about. So, the second point is that trusting God as shepherd, father, and king carries a strong impulse towards simplicity rather than accumulation. And this brings worship out from the inner, hidden places of our heart into more visible actions for the glory of God. And God, again, is is worship through our use of, of our money and the way we conduct our finances and the way that, that, that as we conduct our finances in our home, that, that in the church and in the public arena, we're able to meet the needs of others. It's worship. It's magnifying God with our money. The third point from this text, also from verse 33 is that the purpose of our money is to maximize our treasure in heaven, not on earth. You see, a lot of people think that money is meant for, to buy stuff on earth, that the primary pur- purpose of money is for us to get stuff. You know, I get money and I get stuff. You know, I tell my son, my son asks me, he says, Daddy, why you got to go to work? I say, son, got to make the money, right? You know, and, and yeah, so you can buy me toys, Dad. And... um it's true, right? We got to eat. We got to provide for our kids. We got to provide a home. Uh, we got to provide for um, if if we're married for 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 our spouse, right? And um, you know, money makes the world go round, right? And and we got to meet our needs. But that's not the primary purpose of our money. The primary purpose of our money is to maximize our treasure in heaven. Let me show you. Verse 33, he says, sell your possessions and give to those in need. What will that do? What will selling or or getting out of debt or simplifying for the sake of giving, what will that do? This will store up treasure for you in heaven. And the purses of heaven never get old or develop holes. Your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal it and no moth can destroy it. So what's the connection here between the selling, selling possessions here so that you can meet the needs of others, which is the first half of the verse, and accumulating treasure in heaven, which is at the end of the verse? There's obviously a connection. They're, they're right by each other. The connection seems to be that the way you make money belts, which don't get holes, and the way you gather treasures in heaven that never fail is by simplifying your life, selling stuff, getting out of debt, doing whatever it takes to meet the needs of others, to position yourself to be able to meet the needs of others. Uh, That's the connection. 
That's the connection. They're directly connected to one another. In other words, simplifying for the sake of love on earth maximizes your joy in heaven. You know, that's what it means to store up treasure in heaven. Because the Bible talks over and over again that, that though we're not saved by works, right? We're saved by faith. The Bible makes it very clear that after we are saved, our works really matter. In fact, the Bible says right here and in many other places that we will receive a reward for the things that we do for the kingdom. Specifically, in this context, we will receive a reward for uh, our giving with a right heart, with a cheerful heart, with a good heart, with a heart that doesn't seek praise, but with a heart that seeks to worship God. But we will receive treasure in heaven. And you know what treasure equals in heaven? Maximize joy. Maximize that. You know, a lot of people, I've heard some people, some lost people say, man, I've, I've literally heard people say this, man, heaven, heaven sounds kind of boring, you know. Uh, it sounds kind of boring, you know. I mean, what are we going to do? Is it going to be like being in church forever? But you know what the psalm says? You know what the psalm says about being in the presence of God in heaven? In your presence is fullness of joy and at your right hand are the deepest most satisfying pleasures forevermore that doesn't sound boring to me that sounds awesome that sounds like the greatest thing that I can experience in this life it's going to be a million times better in heaven and so one of the ways that we that we increase and and, and we understand biblically that whenever believers get to heaven, they will experience different levels of joy and treasure and, and reward for what we do on earth for God. So, and one of those ways that we do that is by simplifying our lives, simplifying our finances, putting ourselves in a financial position that when the Holy Spirit moves in our heart and says, you give, I'm able to reach into my pocket, pull out my checkbook, write a check, and say, here you go, Lord. Yes, sir. Maximize our joy. So this is, this is another just kind of utterly radical point that Jesus is making. And it's the way that Jesus talks and thinks all the time. Throughout the Gospels, Jesus is always talking about, about, about these ways that we increase our treasure in heaven. And being heavenly minded, we understand that being heavenly minded makes a radically loving difference in the world. All those people who make a significant difference in the world for Christ and for His kingdom are people who are not focused on the things of this life, but are focused on the things of the kingdom, are focused on the things of God. The people who are most powerfully persuaded that what matters is treasure in heaven, not big accumulations of money here, are the people who will constantly Dream up ways to simplify and to serve and to simplify and to serve over and over and over again. They will give and they will give and they will give. And, and mind you, they will also work and they will work and they will work, you know. They'll, they'll, they'll work their tails off. You know, Apostle Paul, uh, a lot of people forget this, but for most of his ministry, he worked. He was a tent maker, he worked and worked and worked so that he would be a burden to no one and so that he could give. 
And, you know, Paul says in Ephesians 4.28 that they work and they work and they work so that they may have something to share with those in need. So I said I'd come back to it. Here's, here's my disclaimer that I don't want you to walk away thinking that this message is all about. There is nothing wrong with making a lot of money. God's blessed me with a good job. I praise God for that. You know, I, 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 I pray... And I hope that, that he promotes me and, and, and increases me and uses me. I work for it. I work hard for it, you know. Nothing wrong with making uh, a lot of money or a little money or, or whatever you make. In fact, a giving believer submitted to the Holy Spirit is a very valuable piece of God's kingdom purposes. You know, whatever you make, a little or a lot... God puts what he puts in your hand so that you can so that you can do what he could do without you but so that you could put it back into his kingdom and 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 he'll he'll use your finances that you give back to him to work his kingdom purposes and then you know what we store up treasure in heaven we store up treasure in heaven Jesus well, now let me back up so there's nothing wrong there's nothing wrong with making money, right? The issue arises here whether you make a lot or a little. The issue arises when you keep all that money for your purposes. That's where the problem is. That's why Jesus right before this passage he said, "Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness." And then all these things will be added to you. That's why whenever we tithe, we're supposed to give the first 10%, right? Not the leftovers, but the first 10%. That's why we need to position our life where we don't spend that last $600 of our check every month on something that we, that, that, that we, that we already have, but we want something better, but that we give uh, room for the Holy Spirit to, to, to lead us to give and to give extravagantly. And so, so that's where the issue is. It's not in making the money. It's when we keep it all for ourselves. You know, whenever we don't make any room for God and his Holy Spirit to, to come and to say, say, hey, listen, uh, there's a need over there, and I want you to meet it, you know. Um, and and we've got to leave room for that. So Jesus commands us to give for the sake of others according to his purpose. Therefore, as believers, we have to commit in our church, we've got to raise the bar to be tithers, right? We've got to raise the bar. I guarantee you, you know, our church, you guys know, our church is, is you see it in the bulletin, our, our church is struggling financially right now. We are coming thousands of dollars short every week for the expenses to run the air conditioners and run the lights and pay the mortgage and, and everything, it's in the bulletin. I'm not saying anything that's secret. It's in the bulletin every week. I guarantee you, if our church would become a 100% tithing church and everybody would commit to be obedient to the command of God to give the first 10% of everything that they get, that our church would not be in that problem right now. We've got to raise the bar. We've got to raise the bar financially in our tithes. And I just want to challenge you. I want to challenge you. I'm, going to, I'm just going to say this and, 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 and just take it. Just take it. If you're not a tither, 
And if you, and beyond that, if you are not in a position, positioning your life and, and, and willingly opening your heart for the Holy Spirit to be the governor and the, and the king and, the, and the, the, the CEO of all of your finances, then you are not in obedience to Christ. You're not. Because Christ says that we need to position ourselves such that uh, we are obedient, not to our own purposes, but to His purposes. And you know, what the, you know what Jesus promised? Again, I'll come back to it. If we'll seek first the kingdom, then He will make sure that all of our physical needs, food, clothing, shelter, uh, anything you can think of that you truly need, that He will provide those things. You know? So... That's my big disclaimer, is that there's nothing wrong with making money. There's nothing wrong with making a lot of money. The problem is, is that we need to submit that money to God and his purposes. And we already saw that there's no prescription, you know, you got to give this much. Uh, you got to sell this much. You know, there were different levels that God required from different people. The, 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 the key is submission in your heart. God, I'm open to give whatever you want me to give, whatever you would lead me to give. So the connection with worship is this. Jesus commands us to accumulate treasure in heaven, which is to maximize our joy, right? To maximize our joy in God in heaven. And he says that the way that we do this is to sell and to simplify for the sake of others. So he motivates, and this is key. This is the motivation, and this is the motivation that Jesus used for so many things He motivates our simplicity of life for the sake of others and our giving by our desire to increase and build our eternal joy. That's the motivation that God hangs in front of us. And and, and you may think, well, that's kind of lame or, or shallow that God would try to motivate us like that. It's so biblical. Over and over and over again, Jesus says, if you do this, then I will reward you in the kingdom over and over and over again. So that's the motivation. And this means that all of our use of money becomes a manifestation of how much we delight in God above money and things. Because if I delight in God, and I delight in His promises, and I delight in, in, in the um, glory, and the honor, and the immortality that, that God uh, promises for me, if I delight in those things more than money, then I am willing to lay down and give my money for the sake of increasing that joy. It's worship. Treasuring God above all things. Now the last point this evening from the passage is this. From verse 34. Your heart moves towards what you cherish. And God wants you to move towards Him. Let's read verse 34. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. This is given as the reason why we should pursue treasure in heaven and why that, that, that pursuit will not fail. He says, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. So if your, heaven, if your treasure is in heaven where God is, then your heart will follow. That's what the scripture says. Now, what is this simple scripture really saying? Let's, let's, let's just think about it. Because sometimes these things are so simple, 
we miss the depth of it, right? We miss, we miss what God's trying to say and we just kind of skip over it as just a simple little verse. The word treasure, what does that mean? Typically, it means the object or an object that we cherish. You know, you, you, um, I treasure my wife. I cherish my wife. She means very much to me. That's what it means to treasure. Um, and the heart, I take to mean as the organ that, tr- that cherishes, the organ that, that is doing the cherishing, the heart, right? Because the, the heart, uh, from an emotional standpoint, is, is the center of our emotions. It's the center of, of, of our affections, right? So, let's read the verse like this. Where the object that you cherish is, there will be the organ that cherishes. So, that, so if the object that you cherish is God, who is in heaven, then our hearts will naturally move towards God and towards heavenly things, right? And we'll find ourselves in communion with God, walking in the Spirit, walking in sync with His purposes and His will for our life, uh, and, and it follows that away. But if the object that we cherish is money and things on earth, then our heart will be focused and spiritually will be with the things on earth. And we'll find ourselves cut off from God, separated from God. And, you know, if we're saved, not necessarily, not, not lost because, um, because we've been born again, but we'll find ourselves in that, in that valley place where we're not hearing the voice of God, where we're not being led by God, where we're not walking in the Spirit and producing the fruits of the Spirit. So this is what Jesus meant in Luke sixteen thirteen when he said, uh, No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You can't. It's not possible. You either love the one hate the other, or you'll love this one and you'll hate this one. You cannot serve God in money. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Not seek first my stuff, right? To serve money is to cherish money and pursue all the benefits that money can give. You know, you've, you've met people who are so focused on stuff and money that it, that it drives them. And, and you know, it, it's, it's, it's a God. It's their master. Uh, people, there, there's people that will, that will uh, work their lives away to get stuff. And then it doesn't please, so they need more stuff. And it, and it begins to govern our lives. And then we buy the stuff, so we've got to spend time on the stuff because I spent all this money on my stuff. You know, I got to spend time with it, right? You know, uh, I, this, is, this is not a global statement, but I'm in retirement from video games uh, because, because video games consume my heart and my mind. And when I play them, uh, I find myself, instead of, instead of feeling spare time with my video games, I find myself neglecting other things to make time for my games. And, and, you know, like, like I said, you know, this isn't a global statement that video games are bad, but, but whew, they capture my heart, you know, and, and I find myself, uh, I came out of retirement to play uh, 
Batman, Arkham Origins, and it just it, it just captured my heart, you know. And I find my I find myself being drawn, and I find myself, uh, you know, not spending as much time with my kids, and 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 cutting Bible time short, and all these things, because these things capture my heart, and 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 that's the key. Um, we can't let money capture our heart. God needs to be driving those things. God needs to be in the driver's seat. I just went way off my notes. I get lost. Um, but that's worship. The heart's cherishing God and seeking Him as the treasure above all, all treasures. And, and, and that's, that's how we worship specifically with our money. We use our money in such a way that it shows God... I love you, and I love your purposes, and I love uh, the, the things that, that you want to do in the world more than, more than I want a truck that I can't afford, more than I want uh, to, to, uh, to save and save and save so I have this sense of security, more than I want, uh, you know, maybe, I, I don't know, more than I want stuff, God, I want you. I want your purposes. I want, I, want, I want to be able to be used by you to where when you say, uh, meet that need, I can meet it. That's worship. That's how we magnify God with our money. So I want to close and kind of bring back all these points together on, on how, how can this apply to, to giving in your life? How can, I, how can I, when I give, when I tithe at the church, when I give an offering at the church, when I see somebody who can't pay their rent, it's going to get kicked out of their house, and I, and I go and I say, I want, to, I want to help you. God told me to help you. I, I just want to bless you because God's blessed me. And I want, I want to show you, I want to show you the, God, the love of God physically. How can, how can we make that worship to God? And they're going to come up on the top here. The first is, is that as we give, we say, I hereby trust you, God, as my happy, generous shepherd, father, and king, so that I will not be afraid when I have less money for myself and supplying the needs of others. Because you see, it's not worship if I go and I put the money in the bucket and I say, oh gosh, hurts. You know, or, or man, I don't really want to do that, but the Bible says I have to, and now I'm not going to be able to do this and that, and or... Or even, or even, man, things are tight. Things are tight, and and, and I just I, I can't give I can't give my the full amount. I can't give my full tithe because I, I'm just worried. I don't think we worship God when we when we give according to the leading of His Holy Spirit, and we're not afraid because we believe we have faith that He is our Father, He is our Shepherd, He is our King. And he will freely give us the kingdom. Second thing, we resist the incredible pressure in our culture to accumulate more and more and cast our lot with the impulse to simplicity for the sake of others. It's radical. That's radical in America. I will not put myself in a position where I'm indulging myself so that I can meet the needs of others. It's radical. But that's what God calls us to. That's how we, that's how we truly position ourselves to magnify God with our money. Third thing, 
when we give, we say, I hereby lay up treasure in heaven and not on earth so that my joy in God will be maximized forever and ever. We have faith. We believe what Jesus said, that as I give this with a joyful and a cheerful heart, I believe that it is producing for me glory and treasure you know, and honor and immortality in heaven. It's producing for me something that's going to last forever, something that's going to give me a greater level of fullness of joy and pleasure forevermore in the, in the, in the presence of God. Pleasure that, that goes so far beyond anything that's stuff could ever give us and the last thing when we give we say uh, with this offering I declare that since my treasure is in heaven my heart goes after God we believe it in faith that 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 God I give this because I understand that where my treasure is there my heart will be and I want to encourage you just to just to take these principles and Apply them to your life. Apply them to your giving. Uh, I want to encourage you that if you are not a faithful tither, to become a faithful tither. It's part of our raising the bar, right? That for seven weeks we'd become faithful tithers and hopefully beyond that. And so uh, you guys, I've been sitting for a while. If you want to stand up, I'm going to pray and then we're going to be done. Heavenly Father, we, we love you. We thank you for your word, God. We thank you that it is sharp and applicable, God, and and able to work in us, Lord God, what you desire. And Father, I I just pray tonight that, that, God, that you would convict our hearts, Lord. God, that you would convict our hearts for loving stuff. Because on some level, God, on some level, for, for some season of life, we all have or are making stuff and money our God. And Lord, I, I just pray tonight, God, that, that you would help us not to, not to walk in that, Lord, that we could kill that flesh, Lord God, that flesh desire, Lord God, for more and more and more, for me, me, me. And God, that we would begin to uh, love your kingdom and love your purposes and love you more than money and stuff, Lord God, by positioning ourselves And then physically giving with a cheerful heart, God. With a heart of joy that comes from the grace of Christ and His gospel. And all that You've done for us, God. And and Lord, we we thank You, Father, that, that even though it really all belongs to You, Lord, that as we give with a good and a worshipful heart, Lord, we, we thank You, God, and we believe that You are storing up for us treasure forevermore in heaven, God. Thank you for that, Lord. And God, uh, with our money, we just, we, just, we just come after you, Lord. We magnify you and we come after you with all of our hearts, God. We pray that as we, as we give our treasure into the kingdom, Lord, that you would set our hearts on you and on eternity and on the kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.